Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin, where I look at every single Prime Minister from Sir John A. Macdonald all the way up to Justin Trudeau. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. I do this full-time, and every dollar you give helps keep all of it going. Don't forget, I have two other podcasts out there, Pucks and Cups and Canadian History X, available on all podcast platforms. Today I'm looking at one of Canada's most loved and most disliked Prime Ministers. A man unlike any other Prime Minister we've had before or since, and a fascinating individual, and the father of our current Prime Minister. Today, I'm looking at Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Now, there's a lot of French in this, and I'm learning French right now, but if I mispronounce anything, I do apologize for that. In 1659, the first of the Trudeau family would arrive in New France, beginning in the line of the family that would produce two prime ministers. Etienne Trudeau arrived on September 7th of that year, and by 1663 was a master carpenter. He and his wife would have 14 children, with most staying in the area. Over the course of the next 200 years, the Trudeau family would have a growing impact on what would one day be Canada. Soline Cardinal Trudeau would become the mayor of St. Constant, Quebec, and his son Joseph Trudeau would work as a farmer in the province. Joseph was semi-literate, but his wife Melvina was the daughter of a mayor and she pushed for her sons to have a good education. Thanks to that, her son, Charles Emile Trudeau, would become a notable lawyer and build a fortune by building gas stations around Montreal and creating the Automobile Owners Association. By 1932, that association had 15,000 members that used the 30 stations that Trudeau owned, which he would eventually sell for $1 million. Ironically, Charles Emile was a strong supporter of the Conservative Party, the party his son would oppose his entire life. Trudeau's mother, Grace Elliott, was born into a prosperous Montreal family, and she would attend convent school and was then placed in the Dunham Ladies' College. Bilingual, she spoke and wrote in French, but typically preferred to use English. As a result, the Trudeau home would use English for the most part, rather than French. To Grace and Joseph, Pierre Elliott Trudeau was born on October 18, 1919. In the family, Trudeau would have a sister, Suzette, and a brother, Charles Jr., both of whom he would remain close to for the rest of his life. The family was well off thanks to the wealth of Charles Emile, who also owned the Montreal Royals, the minor league baseball team that Jackie Robinson would play for in the 1940s, and the family lived in an unpretentious home, but also had a maid and chauffeur. Until 1968, when he moved into 24 Sussex Drive, Trudeau would always see that building as his home. Trudeau's father, Charles, was quite skilled when it came to investing, but he also had his rough edges, and he would often gamble well into the night. He would often go between winning big and losing big, and the family remembered his long absences. At the same time, when he was home, he was an affectionate father who doted on Pierre, while also demanding of him and reaching his potential. Sadly, the family would be struck by tragedy when Charles Emile died from pneumonia in 1935 while in Orlando, Florida. Pierre and each of his siblings would inherit $5,000 or nearly $100,000 today. Considering it was the Great Depression, that was no small amount for a 16-year-old to have. And the hard living of his father would have a noticeable impact on Pierre, who for the rest of his life did not gamble, he disdained smoking, rarely drank, and avoided wild parties. For the rest of his life, though, he always had pride in his father and his success in business. As a boy, Trudeau would attend primary school where he excelled in mathematics and religion. From an early age, he was always fluent in both English and French, but his upbringing was often at odds with his classmates. In class, he cheered at the result of the Battle of the Plains of Abraham and challenged what he saw as patriots in Quebec, as well as students who attacked bilingualism. The students would often call him Americanized or Anglicized, and Trudeau would write in his diary that he was proud of his English blood. In his teen years, Trudeau would attend the College Jean de Brouf, a prestigious secondary school used by the elite Francophone families in Quebec. 
As a teenager, Trudeau had more money than most families in Canada did, and he would often take long canoe trips through the Canadian Shield or drive his motorcycle in a wild manner. He was also generous, buying his classmates books, records, and concert tickets that they could not afford. In his final academic year, Trudeau put his efforts into obtaining a Rhodes Scholarship. In his application, he wrote that he wanted to get into public office, and he studied public speaking. He also received letters of recommendation from several individuals. Father Boulin, the head of the school, would write that during his time in school, Trudeau had won, quote, hundreds of prizes and honorable mentions and performed with distinction in all fields, end quote. Despite this, Trudeau would not receive a Rhodes Scholarship that he desired. At this point, he decided to start looking at his options for his future, and on the advice of various individuals, including Henry Barossa, he decided he wanted to pursue a career in politics, beginning with earning a degree in law. Trudeau would attend the Université de Montréal from 1940 to 1943. Later in life, he would write that the death of his father and the outbreak of the Second World War were the two great bombshells that marked his teenage years. He would write in his early 20s, quote, So there was war, tough. It wouldn't stop me from concentrating on my studies so long as that was possible. If there were a French-Canadian in Montreal at the time, you did not automatically believe that this was a just war. In Montreal in the 1940s, we still knew nothing about the Holocaust, and we tended to think of this as settling of scores among the superpowers. Trudeau was heavily opposed to conscription, as were most in Quebec at the time, and he would campaign for Jean Drabeau, who ran an anti-conscription platform. As a student, Trudeau would join, reluctantly, the Canadian Officers Training Corps, training at a local armory during the school term, and getting further training at Camp Farnham each summer. In his opposition to conscription, he would take to the streets to oppose the plebiscite on April 27, 1942. In November, during the federal by-election in his area, he gave a fiery speech against conscription and called for revolution. A lot of this was because he was being heavily influenced by Father Hertel, who was renowned for his writings and who encouraged Pierre to read philosophers like Jacques Maritain. Soon enough, the revolutionary spirit for Trudeau would begin to wane. He was pressed by Father Hertel to take on the editorial ship of the National Journey that promoted the idea of Quebec independence. At this point, Trudeau found that he did not agree with that notion and his relationship with Father Hertel would slowly fade in time. Trudeau would article in law from 1943 to 1944, following his graduation from university. He had found law boring to study, but he still finished at the top of his class. He was also looking for a change of scenery, and that would result in his attending of Harvard University to gain his master's in political economy. It was there that he began to see the war in a different light, saying later in life that he saw the historic importance and that he had, quote, missed one of the major events of the century in which I was living, end quote. Influenced by his teachers, many who had left Europe as the Nazis took over, he began to change his views. He would become intrigued by liberal and democratic traditions and the separation of the spiritual from the secular in public life. And he would write, quote, The spiritual will have the decisive voice in education, consultative in action. End quote. In his dissertation at Harvard, Trudeau would write it on the topic of Marxism, communism, and Christianity, but he would pause his work on it due to his feelings of isolation attending a primarily Protestant university as a French Catholic. In 1947, he decided to work on his dissertation in Paris, and while there, he attended the Institut d'Etudie Politique de Paris. His dissertation would remain unfinished as Trudeau then moved on to the London School of Economics to enter the doctoral program. While he did not finish his dissertation for the School of Economics, his time there cemented in him the belief that social sciences and Keynesian economics were essential to creating a good life in a democratic society. After attending three schools and still wondering about his future, Trudeau decided to travel the world to find his purpose. He justified the trip as a research for his thesis, but there's no evidence he actually worked on the topic. He would travel to Poland and visit Auschwitz, then throughout Eastern Europe, into the Middle East and down into Iraq. In Jordan, he was thrown in jail as a suspected Jewish spy, and in Iraq, he eluded thieves who wanted to relieve him of his items. 
Using his British passport rather than his Canadian passport, he visited Pakistan, India, China, and Japan, wearing clothes that helped him blend into the society he was visiting. In Shanghai, he was able to get out of the country before it fell to the communist army of Chairman Mao, and he would eventually return to China in a couple decades, but we'll get to that. Well, it's a period was mainly came after my studies, and it was before I got down to work, so it's a transitional period, which I remember very fondly, and I try to recreate whenever I can get a vacation. There's a long bit of traveling through Europe and Asia and Africa, and... Uh, Where did you go in Asia? Just about every country, I think. Uh, like uh, Korea is the only one I didn't go to. India, Afghanistan, Pakistan, uh, Middle East. Uh, I've been told you were in China just about the time the communists took over. Yes, I was in China in 48, 49, the end of 48, beginning of 49. When the communists were on the other side of the Yangtze and I was traveling around the southern, southeastern, southeastern China, yes. And then you were in Palestine uh, during the Palestine War, weren't you? Yes, I was in Palestine just shortly after uh, the Bernadotte assassination. I was in, uh, in Jerusalem and uh, on the Arab side of Palestine. I only went to the Israeli side uh, in a later trip by another way around. Trudeau returned to Quebec in 1949 after being gone for five years, feeling that his mind had been broadened. Upon his return, he found himself appalled at the nationalism in Quebec and the authoritarianism of the province's government. He would write that coming back to Quebec and seeing that it was at, quote, a turning point in its entire religious, political, social, and economic history, end quote. He would find himself becoming a leading figure in opposition of Maurice Duplessis, the premier of Quebec who he felt led a repressive rule over the province through the domination of the Catholic Church. Trudeau would support the workers during the asbestos strike, wearing a beard and marching in shorts and a headcloth with the strikers. And the miners would call him St. Joseph, and he was arrested by the police and soon returned to Montreal. But the strike would have a long impact on Trudeau. In 1949, Trudeau returned to a Quebec in ferment. The workers at Asbestos were on strike for union recognition. The old order was putting up stiff resistance, and the Duplessis government openly supporting the strikebreakers. The dynamic young labor leader, Jean Marchand, needed help from wherever he could get it. When Trudeau turned up, he urged the strikers in fiery terms to resist the authorities by any means. Jean Marchand, years later. The way he was talking, you know, uh, I said, well, th those people don't need to be provoked. <laughs> they, they, need, they need to be uh, contained. Marchand welcomed Trudeau's freelance help in the labor movement, but wondered when he was going to settle down. We used to ask him when we'd be grown up, what are you going to do? <laughs> so, uh, because he, uh, well, I, I, don't, uh, I don't understand whether he was... Uh, he was really frightened by uh, being linked to uh, anything, you know, permanently and so forth. Due to his support of the strikers, he was blacklisted by the government and could not teach law at the Université de Montréal. Instead, he became a civil servant in 1949, impressing his boss with his devotion to his long working hours. At the same time, his socialist ideals and his criticism of Cold War alliances did not endear him to others in Ottawa. Typically, Trudeau would work the week in Ottawa and spend the weekend in Montreal. In 1950, he began to work for the federal government in the Privy Council office of Prime Minister Louis Saint-Laurent. In the summer of 1951, he wrote an anonymous attack on the Canadian involvement in the Korean War, and he quit his job and returned to Montreal. Around this same time, he would co-found and edit Cité Libre, a journal that provided an intellectual basis for the growing quiet revolution in the province. His influence on the publication was immense from the start, and he would write about functional politics, and he urged Quebec to open itself to the world. He would tell Quebec to, quote, 
borrow the functional discipline from architecture to throw to the winds those many prejudices which with the past has encumbered the present to build for the new man. Better yet, let's consider them null and void. Let us be coolly intelligent. End quote. While the publication was only printed on an irregular basis, the government still saw its editors as dangerous and subversive. Even Father Hertel would write a savage attack on an article Trudeau had written, and the article was condemned by the Archbishop of Montreal. Throughout the 1950s, Trudeau was blacklisted by the United States and could not enter the country because he had visited a conference in Moscow and he had subscribed to publications that were seen as left-wing by the government. As the decade went on, Trudeau would remain consistent in his dislike of the Cold War, and his belief that there was a middle way between the fervor of anti-communism and the stern communism of the Soviets. He continued to believe that the Francophones had to strengthen the technical, scientific, and social science sectors of the society. He would often look disdainfully on the provincial government, calling the provincial government corrupt and socially regressive, and the federal government ignoring the French, even though it had a Francophone leader in Louis Saint Laurent. One thing could be said of Trudeau. He had his harsh views for both the English and the French, and he would write, quote, Historically, French Canadians have not really believed in democracy for themselves, and English Canadians have not really wanted it for others. End quote. When Duplessis died in 1959, it was clear that times were slowly changing in Quebec, allowing Trudeau new opportunities in his career choices. From 1961 to 1965, Trudeau served as the Associate Professor of Law at the University of Montreal, and during this time, Trudeau would often speak of his admiration for labor unions, his dislike of Quebec nationalism, and more. In 1962, Trudeau was leaning towards joining the Liberal Party and turning to federal politics at the urging of Jean Marchand. But he would soon decide against this due to Lester Pearson supporting the Bormac missiles on Canadian soil. And he called Pearson a, quote, defrocked prince of peace, end quote. On September 10, 1965, Trudeau made the decision to run for the House of Commons, choosing the Mount Royal riding. Many of those close to Trudeau were not only shocked but angered at the decision. His colleagues at the Cité Libre would write their disapproval in the pages of the publication and in articles published elsewhere. While campaigning, he would state his views on nationalism when he said, quote, I believe a constitution can permit the coexistence of several cultures and ethnic groups with a single state. End quote. In the federal election that year, he picked up 55.6% of the vote, beginning his long career in Parliament. As for why he chose a Liberal Party considering he did criticize it previously, it was based on the fact that he did not believe the federal NDP, who he was more aligned to in his beliefs, would ever be able to achieve power. In his first term in Parliament, Lester B. Pearson offered Trudeau the role as Parliamentary Secretary, which he refused. Marchand then told him that he was making a mistake, and Trudeau would accept the position. He would spend much of his first year travelling representing Canada at international meetings and at the United Nations. In 1967, Trudeau was appointed to the high-profile post of Minister of Justice, and in that role he was given the responsibility of introducing the landmark Criminal Law Amendment Act. While many in the party were hesitant about Trudeau taking on this portfolio, Due to the fact that they believed he had a playboy lifestyle, he quickly impressed them with a strong work ethic and discipline. This act would have an immense impact on Canada that lasts to this day. The act would decriminalize homosexual acts between consenting adults, contraception would be totally legalized, as would abortion, lotteries, and more. New restrictions would be put on gun ownership, and breathalyzer tests were authorized. In one famous interview, Trudeau would defend the act, stating, quote, There's no place for the state in the bedrooms of the nation. What's done in private between adults doesn't concern the criminal code. End quote. At the end of 1967, Prime Minister Pearson announced that he was going to step down as leader, and Trudeau, only two years into his parliamentary career, entered the race for leadership. He came to the decision while on vacation in Tahiti where he had met a woman named Margaret Sinclair, the daughter of a former Liberal cabinet minister. More on her later. Even this choice to run as leader was not taken lightly by Trudeau, 
who enjoyed having the privacy that was important to him. In the end, Trudeau felt that due to the issues of bilingualism and biculturalism and the growing unrest in Quebec, Canada was going through its greatest crisis, and now was not the time to step aside from that. Thus, he chose to run. While many may have thought that Trudeau did not have a chance as a new MP, they were wrong. The growing base of young voters saw Trudeau as energetic and innovative, and Trudeau received a great deal of media coverage, making him the front-runner with the Canadian public. For many, Trudeau was seen as a generational change. Newfoundland Premier Joey Smallwood would say, quote, Pierre is better than Medicare. The lame have only to touch his garments to walk again. End quote. Pearson, who Trudeau often disagreed with, would help Trudeau raise his profile in English Canada by sending him on a tour of the provincial capitals. Within the Liberal Party, the view of Trudeau was mixed. Many had issues with what they felt were radical views on divorce, abortion, and homosexuality. Judy LaMarche, a very important member of the Liberal Party, was accidentally caught on camera saying that Trudeau wasn't a Liberal, with some colourful profanity mixed in. Many voters saw Trudeau as a swinging bachelor, and he would go on to date Barbara Streisand in 1969. On the first ballot, Trudeau would pick up 31.8% of the vote, followed by 40.8% in the second ballot. On the third ballot, he had 44.6% of the vote. On the fourth ballot, he would go up against Robert Winters, who would die the following year, and John Turner, a future Prime Minister himself. In that ballot, Trudeau won with 51.1% of the vote, becoming the 15th Prime Minister of Canada. Pierre E. Trudeau, 1-2-0-3. This is an extremely great honor that I have received from this great assembly of liberals. An honor and a very heavy responsibility. And the only way in which I can show my appreciation for this honor will be to bear this responsibility with all my strength and with all my energy. Canada must be unified. Canada must be one. Canada must be progressive and Canada must be a just society. On April 20th, 1968, Trudeau was sworn in as Prime Minister, and thus began his time in office that was only exceeded by Sir Johnny MacDonald and Sir Wilfrid Laurier. Trudeau would not waste any time, calling an election for June 25th to capitalize on the Liberal Party that was seeing its popularity increase thanks to Trudeau. During the campaign, Trudeau mania gripped the country as young people began to rally around him as a nonconformist who had charm and good looks. Unlike many prime ministers, he was often stopped in the street to sign autographs and take pictures. His opponent, Robert Stanfield, quickly found himself falling behind as Trudeau captured the minds of the nation. Trudeau would go to campaign stops and not kiss babies but beautiful women. He would be photographed doing jackknife dives off a diving board clad only in a European Speedo, and with his trim and fit body honed by years of judo and canoeing, Canadians saw a Prime Minister who was unlike any they had seen in their lifetime. One of the most notable incidents that cemented his legacy with young people at the time occurred on St. Jean-Baptiste Day, June 24th in Montreal. Seated for the parade in the grandstand, Quebec separatists began to throw rocks and bottles at him. And while his aides took cover and told him to do the same, Trudeau stayed seated without moving. The incident could not have come at a better time. Many in Canada saw Trudeau as showing courage, and the election was the next day. In that election, Trudeau's Liberals took 131 seats, up from 27, and gained the Liberals their first majority since the days of Louis Saint Laurent. In Quebec, he captured 56 of 74 seats. In his own riding, he won by a landslide with 90% of the vote, 36,000 more votes than the next challenger. 
In choosing his cabinet, Trudeau was commended for having the strongest ever francophone presence. MPs from Quebec filled roles in National Defence, Secretary of State, Industry, Trade and Commerce and Forestry. In 1969, Trudeau implemented the Official Languages Act, which officially made Canada a bilingual nation. The move was widely criticized in Western Canada and in other areas of English Canada. It would be at this moment that Trudeau would begin to face Western alienation, an issue that has only grown. The implementation of the Act would see the francophone proportion of the civil service and military double by 1976, which made many Anglophones feel disadvantaged. Well, I'm quite sure that uh, it will have a solidifying effect on Canadian unity. From the French-Canadian side, they will have been given the first concrete proof that uh, Canada and Canadians are just not a host of good intentions, but that we really mean to get down to business when we talk about the two official languages. Uh, the statute will provide equality of the two languages in all areas where the citizens of Canada have to communicate with the government, with Parliament, so that uh, any citizen of Canada will be able to use the official language of his choice. But perhaps more important still, there's an ombudsman, a commissioner, uh, who will report directly to Parliament and whose job it will be to make sure that this isn't just a, a law which still remains on the statute books and which is not applied. One of the biggest challenges that Trudeau would face in his time in office came only two years into his first term. The October crisis erupted in 1970, and I covered this in great detail on my podcast, so find that episode on my website for an in-depth look at it. In the crisis, British diplomat James Cross and Quebec cabinet minister Pierre Laporte were kidnapped by the FLQ, who were a militant branch of the Quebec independence movement. In order to deal with the crisis, Trudeau invoked the War Measures Act, the only time it had been invoked during peacetime, and it gave the government sweeping powers for arrest, detention, and censorship. Sadly, Laporte would be murdered before he could be found, while Cross would be released and returned to England. For Trudeau, many questioned his use of the War Measures Act and its impact on democracy in Canada. The entire event would lead to the iconic interview with CBC in which Trudeau said, just watch me, when asked how far he would go. Uh, even with your hindsight, I don't see how you can, uh, can uh, deny that. No, I, I still go back to the choice that you, you have to make don't... in the kind of society that you yeah, live well, in. There's a lot of bleeding hearts around who just don't like to see people with helmets and guns. All I can say is uh, go on and bleed, but it's more important to keep law and order in this society than to... Uh, uh, be worried about uh, weak-kneed people who uh, don't like the looks of, uh, of a at, at any feminine. cost? At any cost? How far would you go with that? How far would you extend that? Well, just watch me. At, at uh, reducing civil liberties? To that extent? To what extent? Well, would, if you extend this and you say, okay, you're going to do anything to protect them, this include wiretapping, uh, reducing other civil liberties in some ways? Yes, I think the society must take every means at its disposal to defend itself against the uh, emergent of a parallel power which defies the elected power in this country, and I think that goes to any distance. So long as there is a power in here which is challenging the elected representative of the people, I think that power must be stopped, and I think it, it's only, uh, I repeat, weak need uh, bleeding hearts who are afraid to take these measures. As a quick side note, Just Watch Me is also the name of a Canadian history podcast that I really enjoy, and I had the pleasure of being a guest on a little while ago. So, when you're done listening to this episode, go and subscribe to Just Watch Me, available on all podcast platforms. The use of the War Measures Act was highly controversial, and Trudeau's decision would become part of his legacy for the rest of his life, while increasing his detractors and opponents. In his memoirs, he would defend the action as the only way to keep the situation from descending into chaos. When writing about his comment of Just Watch Me, he stated that it was an indication of his determination to maintain the rule of law in Canada. Among Canadians, though, at the time, the action of Trudeau was generally seen as favourable. 87% were favourable to it in a poll done after the crisis. On February 16, 1971, there was a minor scandal in the House of Commons when opposition MPs accused Trudeau of saying, F off, during a debate. When asked about the matter, the press asked, quote, What were you thinking when you moved your lips? End quote. 
Trudeau would respond, quote, What is the nature of your thoughts, gentlemen, when you say fuddle-duddle or something like that? God, you guys. End quote. Years later, in 2015, Justin Trudeau would state that his father did not say fuddle-duddle, but in fact said the F-word. question I raised to the Right Honourable Prime Minister of Canada uh, was that uh, the government should introduce some new programs uh, to alleviate the unemployment burden over and above what has been announced since last March. The Prime Minister interrupted me in a way that you wouldn't expect on the street uh, with by mouthing a four-letter obscenity, uh, which I've challenged them to verbally place on the record, and I don't think he's done so since. And uh, I certainly didn't expect this kind of behavior from my Prime Minister of Canada, having worshipped and uh, really uh, adored uh, men like John Diefenbaker and Mr. Pearson and other people in the past. This, to me, is, is really inexcusable. And, uh, uh, well, I guess we're just going to have to grin and bear it, along with the Lapan workers. Well, what are the opposition? Lip readers or something? Did you... Of course I didn't say anything. I mean, Did that's you mouth a, anything? I move my lips and I use my hands in a gesture of derision, yes. But I didn't say anything. If these guys want to read lips and they want to say, see something, you know, they, you know that's their problem. I think they're very sensitive. Well, they, they, they come in the house and they make all kinds of accusations. And because I smile at them in derision, they, they come stomping out and what, go crying to Mama or to television that they've been insulted or something. Well, it, it's a lie, because I didn't say anything. Did you well, mouth, did you mouth it? it? What does mouth mean? You move, move your lips. Move your lips. Lip. Yes, I move my lips. In the words you've been quoted as saying? No. Did you what, what, what did you what were you lips? thinking when you moved your lips? What is the nature of your thoughts, gentlemen, when you say fuddle-duddle or something like that? God, you... On October 8, 1971... Trudeau and Parliament would officially recognize Canada as having two official languages and a multicultural policy within a bilingual framework. In international affairs, Trudeau would keep Canada in NATO, but he reduced the military commitment of Canada, and he pushed Canada to have a more independent path in international relations. One controversial move was opening diplomatic relations with the People's Republic of China, which happened before the United States did. He would also make an official visit to the country. And while the United States had an embargo against Cuba, Trudeau would become a friend of Fidel Castro. Castro's neatly pressed fatigues may be a reminder of the ragged band of guerrillas that started a revolution in the Sierra Maestra. But today, Cuba has a powerful modern army. And even before Trudeau's arrival, the presence of that army fighting in Angola heated up the controversies surrounding the visit. Castro really laid it on for the visiting Canadians, despite the fact that Trudeau had said he would strongly point out Canada's opposition to Cuban intervention in Angola. On the day that Trudeau arrived, Grandma, the Communist Party newspaper, carried a front-page editorial titled A Light on Angola. It was the first public explanation the Cuban people were given for a war they had been fighting for months. According to Fidel Castro, the reason for intervention was South Africa. Uh, we have the proof that at least the regular units with artillery and tanks began the invasion on the 23rd of October. The first Cuban unit arrived between the 5th and the 10th of November after the invasion by South Africa had taken place. It was obvious to me that... Uh, Premier Castro had uh, made this decision with uh, uh, a great deal of, of thought and of feeling for the strategic situation in Africa. Um, you know, this wasn't just a, 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 a short, quick answer to a short, quick question. There was a, a very lengthy uh, attempt on both sides to influence the other, I suppose. When John Lennon and Yoko Ono came to Canada on their tour of world peace in 1969, Trudeau would meet with the couple, the first world leader to do so, at the centre block of Parliament Hill. The three would meet for 51 minutes behind closed doors. Peace came to Parliament Hill today in the form of John Lennon and Yoko Ono. They spent almost an hour with Prime Minister Trudeau in his House of Commons office. It was the first time the couple had met with the head of government since beginning their crusade for peace. Peter Lux has details. The Lennons came to the meeting dressed in their black robes. They prefer either plain black or plain white, says John, and black's warmer in winter. The meeting was arranged at the request of the Lennons. Aides in Mr. Trudeau's office said they'd probably have five or ten minutes with the Prime Minister. 
but that stretched out to 50 minutes. According to Mr. and Mrs. Lennon, they had a very pleasant talk. It was just a beautiful meeting. Right now, we're just overwhelmed meeting uh, Mr. Trudeau because he's really such a beautiful person. More beautiful than we expected. What took so long in there? (laughs) Uh, I don't know. How long was it? We don't know. It's an agreeable conversation, that's why. Could you tell us some of the specific things that you talked about? Can you? Uh, we can't be too specific because we d- we talked in generalizations. Do you, are your views somewhat similar? Uh, we we all have views of uh, we want hope for the future, and in that respect, our views are similar. Can you achieve anything by talking generalizations? Uh, well, let me say that we achieve something by communication and talk, even old-fashioned as it is as a communication method it is still the method we use and talk is the basic start to any communication and also we got great incentive by just meeting him and seeing that uh, there are such people like him in uh, the establishment we've never met any political leaders before this is the first one and let me say that if all politicians were like mr trudeau there would be world peace of course not every world leader was a fan of trudeau President Nixon had a profound dislike of Trudeau, while Trudeau barely concealed his distrust of the American foreign policy. Trudeau also protested against apartheid in South Africa, declaring an arms embargo against the country in 1970. And he would follow that up when he withdrew from a trade assistance program in 1979 that eliminated the preferential tariff that South Africa had since 1932. Also in 1971, Trudeau married Margaret Sinclair, the woman he had met years previous while debating becoming the leader of the Liberal Party. Pierre and Margaret instantly became the most famous couple in Canada, and together they would have three sons, Alexandre, Mikel, and Justin, someone who I'll be doing an episode on down the line. Trudeau would go through his second election in 1972, but by this point Trudeau mania was over and it would show in the polls. The Liberals lost 38 seats, falling to 109, while the Conservatives rose 34 to 107. In his riding, Trudeau had 80.6% of the vote, and this gave Trudeau a minority government operating on the thinnest of lines. The Liberals campaigned on the slogan of The Land is Strong, with television ads showing the scenery of Canada. The slogan was widely mocked, and there were several issues on the campaign. As a result, it was felt that the Liberal campaign was one of the worst managed in decades. Okay, sir, we're asking people what they thought of the election results last night. Now, what do you think? Very, very pleased. I'm glad that son of a got a kick in that Frenchman. He deserved it. Now, why do you feel that way? Because You're... he's uh, been a, uh, very, very disappointing to me. I've been a Liberal all my life. I certainly didn't vote for him this time. No, no. Well, I think the majority of people are big backlash against the Liberal Party. And... Uh, and not enough, quite enough people like voted against the Liberals. I think that's all the election was, a vote against the Liberals. And I think that if they go to the polls again, that it, I think we'll have a majority government and it would be probably the Conservatives. Do you think it was something personal or more general issues that put people's backs up? I think it was mostly uh, unemployment. And uh, I think you'll see another uh, election in another six months. What do you think was responsible for the massive gains by the Conservatives? Well, uh, probably the Trudeau government just not doing anything for the average worker in the last in the last four and a half years. The, the bread and butter issues seem to be the ones that everyone is concerned about, and you know, fine foreign policy and rearmament and all this kind of thing uh, is very you know idealistic. But um, you know, if you haven't got a job or you can't feed your family, uh, this kind of thing's pretty important. <laughs> With the minority government, the Liberals needed the support of the NDP, which pushed the party to the left. This coalition in Parliament would lead to the creation of Petro-Canada. With the oil reserves of Alberta mostly controlled by American corporations, the company was created by the NDP and the Liberals, as it was felt that the corporations were geared to American markets, not Canadian, and it brought no benefit to Canadians. In May of 1974, Parliament was dissolved due to a motion of no confidence after the Liberals' budget bill was defeated. Trudeau knew the opposition would not support the bill, and with its failure, the election he wanted would be triggered. In that election, the main issue was the economic recession in Canada. The campaign in 1974 would differ greatly from 1972, 
and Trudeau was joined on the campaign trail with his family. In the July 8th election, the Liberals regained 32 seats, finishing with 141, while the Conservatives fell to 95. This gave Trudeau a majority government again. But one telling sign from this election was that the party gained no seats in Alberta, as Premier Peter Lougheed was an opponent of the 1974 budget. This would be a trend that would continue for the next four decades in federal politics in Alberta. And the win would see Robert Stanfield resign as the leader of the Progressive Conservative Party, bringing in a man named Joe Clark. Later in the evening, as the returns from the West Coast confirmed his victory, Prime Minister Trudeau finally made his way into the ballroom of the Chateau Laurier in Ottawa. Reporters were quick to note he refused to answer questions, but if they expected arrogance, they were disappointed. Mr. Trudeau's speech was a model of courtesy and tact. I think I would only add, in closing, that there's still much to do in Canada. We have talked during the election about our policies and our programs. I want to make it perfectly clear that they will apply without any, without any sort of favoritism to every part of Canada. I am sorry that we have not more members from particularly the Prairie Provinces. I just want to renew my pledge that I made at the time of the Western Economic Opportunities Conference that uh, we will do our best to make sure our policies apply with fairness to them and uh, particularly the aspects of our policies which I tried to spell out then and now, we will make sure that if we can succeed, uh, we will show to the parts of Canada that we are not strongest, not as strong as we would like, that we intend to be a government for all Canadians. With Trudeau mania long gone, many praised the victory by Trudeau, the Global Mail would write that the election was a tribute, quote, not to Trudeau mania, but to the work, effort, and energy that he put into his campaign, end quote. Of course, the election would come at a great personal cost for Trudeau. His wife, Margaret, would write, quote, my rebellion started in 1974, end quote. She added that after she had campaigned so well for Trudeau and traveled with him on the election circuit, quote, something broke in me. I felt that I had been used. End quote. In his third term, Trudeau brought in wage and price controls to deal with inflation, something he had promised not to do originally. The Anti-Inflation Act was unpopular in many provinces, who felt that it was the role of the provinces, not the federal government, to implement such measures. Trudeau also increased the profile of Canada on the world stage by joining the G7 at the request of President Gerald Ford. On July 14, 1976, after over a decade with a de facto ban on capital punishment, Canada banned the death penalty. The bill would be passed 130 to 124 and featured a long debate in the House of Commons. Capital punishment would remain in place in the military for crimes such as spying for the enemy, but that would eventually disappear in the coming decades. The federal government relationship with Quebec would not improve during the third term of Trudeau, and he began to show anger towards the nationalist attitude he perceived in Quebec over issues such as bilingualism. He also did not get along at all with Premier Barossa. When Barossa lost the 1976 provincial election to René Lévesque, it did not improve matters as Trudeau and Lévesque were rivals, and Lévesque and his party Québécois had a mandate of hosting a referendum on independence. For Trudeau, this was a difficult time as his marriage continued to fail. The English press covered it in detail, and Trudeau actually saw his poll numbers increase, oddly enough, but his aides stated that he was often emotional and prone to outbursts during this time. Trudeau and Margaret would separate in 1976. For Margaret, she found that Trudeau spent most of his time working and had little time for his family, and she would feel trapped and bored in the marriage as a result. That same year, Canada was about to host its first Olympics, being held in Montreal. Trudeau would ban Taiwan from participating in the Olympics due to pressure from China, and the decision was met with wide condemnation from the United States, the IOC, and even in Canada. While there were hiccups in his relationship with the United States, Trudeau did have a much better relationship with Presidents Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter than he did with Nixon. On May 7, 1977, 
an incident would occur that has become one of the most famous images of Trudeau in history. After meeting with Queen Elizabeth II and several leaders at Buckingham Palace, as the Queen walked away, Trudeau did a spin with his arm extended in the air. A photo was taken of the incident and it became international news when it was printed. The photographer had caught the photo by chance after seeing the Prime Minister staring at his feet, and then do a spin, shrug his shoulders, and walk off to join the others at dinner. In 1979, Doug Ball asked Trudeau at a campaign stop if he was drunk, and Trudeau responded, quote, No, no, I had a couple drinks in there, but I wasn't drunk, end quote. Knowing his numbers were down, Trudeau would wait as long as he could to call an election, which he did in 1979, two months shy of the five-year limit imposed by the British North America Act. The campaign was not a good one for the Liberals, and Trudeau was often surrounded by picket lines and protesters at photo ops. While the Conservatives were ahead in the polls, many felt that Trudeau was a better leader than Clark. The Liberal Party decided to capitalize on the image of Trudeau, having him take on an image of almost a gunslinger, having him stand, quote, alone, feet apart, thumbs hooked under his belt with no podium or speaker's text, appearing to think on his feet and ready to take on all comers, end quote. The strategy did not work. On May 22, 1979, the Liberals lost 19 seats and fell to 114, while the Conservatives gained 38 seats to 136. Joe Clark was the new Prime Minister of Canada, and the 11 years in power came to an end for Trudeau, albeit briefly. Most of the Liberal Party support had come from Quebec, where they took 67 seats, which, disagreements or not, was always a Liberal stronghold. In the West, the Liberals took only three seats, two of which were in Manitoba. On November 21st, Trudeau announced his resignation as leader of the party, stating to the press, quote, I'm kind of sorry I won't have you to kick around anymore, end quote. I'm announcing today that after spending nearly 12 years as leader of the Liberal Party, I'm stepping down from the leadership and asking the national executive of the party to call a convention for next March to choose a new leader. There's no easy way or ideal time to leave, and there are always strong public and private reasons, both for going and for staying on. At a point in time, one simply makes the decision as to what is best. Born and raised in Quebec, I wish in particular to express my thanks to the people of my constituency and of my province for their unfailing support. As they have stood by me in every battle since 1965, so, to the best of my ability, I shall stand with them to fight for Canada during the referendum. But I also know that the struggle for unity will be an ongoing one, lasting well beyond the referendum. It will require long and sustained efforts to build the kind of Canada that most of us want. I feel it's time for a new leader to take up this work. And to you... Uh, I think what hasn't been apparent collectively is that when we meet singly or in small groups, uh, I can say that I enjoyed working with you. And if I can be permitted to turn around a phrase, I would say that I'm kind of sorry I won't have you to kick around anymore. That may have been where the story of Trudeau ended, but only three weeks after this announcement, the Conservatives' budget bill was defeated in the House of Commons and a general election was called automatically. Persuaded to stay on as leader, Trudeau would run in another election. The campaign would run differently this time, with the party underplaying Trudeau's role and keeping media appearances to a minimum, including not having a televised debate. On February 18, 1980, Trudeau's Liberals took 33 seats while the Conservatives fell 33 seats, giving the Liberals a majority government and Trudeau was back in power. In that election, Ontario went back to the Liberals, while no seat west of Manitoba was won by the Liberals. In Quebec, Trudeau took an astonishing 74 of 75 seats. In his victory speech, he would say, quote, Well, welcome to the 1980s, end quote. He would end his speech by quoting Robert Frost, saying, quote, But I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep, end quote. It's fitting and proper that less than two months into the decade, the people of this great nation should have been called upon to 
express their national will in a general election. It, every member of parliament from whatever region, in whatever party, is a depository of that national will. And the Canadian people have given to the parliament they have just elected the mandate the mandate to speak for the people of Canada and it's the only national body which has that mandate to speak for all the people of Canada. During this term in office, Trudeau would deal with many things. First, the Quebec referendum was held over the issue of separating from Canada. Trudeau immediately got the federal government involved and appointed Jean Chrétien as the spokesman for the no side, as he would appeal more to the working class voters. René Lévesque stated that Trudeau was more Scottish than French. And in response, Trudeau gave a speech in which he praised the virtues of federalism and questioned the language of the referendum question. He also promised a new constitutional agreement of Quebec state in Canada. He would write, quote, Mr. Levesque was saying that part of my name is Elliot, and since Elliot is an English name, it was perfectly understandable that I was for the no side because, really, you see, I was not much of a Quebecer as those who are going to vote yes. That, my dear friends, is what contempt is. End quote. Trudeau was able to keep Canada united, a milestone for him in his lifelong quest against separatism, with 60% of voters choosing no. This event would inspire Trudeau to accomplish one of his biggest goals, a Canadian constitution. Trudeau would say later that he had never, quote, been so proud to be a Quebecer and a Canadian, end quote. At the same time, the United States was being led by the conservative Ronald Reagan, while Trudeau and Reagan differed in their philosophies, they actually did get along well. They would often go skiing together, but that being said, Trudeau found Reagan difficult to take seriously, often treating him like a nice but dull student in their meetings together. Trudeau would then get down to work on the new constitution, but first he would implement the National Energy Program, one of the biggest government interventions in the economy since the Second World War. This program proved to be highly controversial and reviled in Western Canada even to this day, and much like the Conservative crisis of 1917 decimated Conservative support in Quebec for 50 years, the National Energy Program has done the same for Liberal support in Western Canada. Eventually, Alberta and the federal government reached a revenue-sharing agreement on energy in 1982. The damage in the West had been done. In 1982, the British Parliament passed an act ceding to the Canadian government the responsibility for amending the National Charter. Trudeau would then chair several conferences with the Premiers in the hopes of winning provincial support. He was able to get the NDP, the Ontario Premier and the New Brunswick Premier on his side, but the Progressive Conservatives and the remaining Premiers opposed him. Unable to gain provincial agreement on a new constitution, he went to Parliament with a unilateral federal initiative to patriate the British North America Act to Canada, along with amending formula and an entrenched Charter of Rights and Freedoms. What followed was one of the biggest federal-provincial battles in Canadian history. The provincial governments would challenge the legality of the decision, which would result in a Supreme Court decision that upheld the decision of the federal government. But it was agreed that the provinces had to be consulted more. Trudeau then agreed to meet with the premiers and was able to reach an agreement with all the premiers except for Quebec, in which the provincial governments would use the notwithstanding clause to protect some laws. On April 17, 1982, the Canada Act, which included the Constitutional Act of 1982 and the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, was proclaimed by Queen Elizabeth II. The new constitution would also entrench minority language and education rights and a Charter of Individual Rights. Your Royal Highness, Excellencies, fellow Canadians, 
Fellow citizens, today, at long last, Canada is acquiring full and complete national sovereignty. The Constitution of Canada has finally come home. And in the future, we will now be capable of amending it in Canada without any further recourse to the Parliament of the United Kingdom. In the name of all Canadians, may I say how pleased and honoured we are that Your Majesty and Your Royal Highness have journeyed to Canada to share with us this day of historic achievement. We now have a charter which defines the kind of country in which we wish to live and guarantees the basic rights and freedoms which each of us shall enjoy as a citizen of Canada. There are, of course, other bright spots in this term of office for Trudeau. He was able to persuade the leaders of both Eastern and Western Bloc nations to negotiate a nuclear weapons reduction and to lower the tensions of the Cold War. For this action, he was awarded the Albert Einstein Peace Prize. On the other side of the missile debate, his government allowed the United States to test cruise missiles in the country, which was widely opposed in Canada. The economy continued to suffer during the 1980s, and inflation, high unemployment and large deficits were hurting the support of Trudeau. At the same time, Brian Mulroney was emerging as a popular leader of the Progressive Conservatives. On February 29, 1984, after stating he went for a walk in the snowy streets of Ottawa, Trudeau made the decision to announce his intention to retire. And on June 30, 1984, he officially left office, ending his 15 years in power, and he would be replaced by John Turner. When Pierre Elliott Trudeau walked into this arena 16 years ago, it was to accept the leadership of the Liberal Party and begin a new political era. Tonight, he was here to end it. Liberalism is not so much a program, it's not so much a series of policies. It's an approach to politics. It's a belief in people. Trudeau claimed it was the people in the Liberal Party and the people of Canada who helped him to gain the reforms he's accomplished. Whenever the going was tough, and we were opposed by the multinationals, or by the provincial premiers, or by the superpowers, I realized that if our cause was right, all we had to do to win was to talk over the heads of the premiers, over the heads of the multinationals, over the heads of the superpowers, to the people of this land. Our courage is strong, and our dreams for this beautiful country will never die. The same year he retired from politics, Trudeau and Margaret were divorced. In 1984, he would date Margot Kidder for a brief time. For the most part, Trudeau had a quiet retirement, but would come out to speak on certain issues, including his opposition to the Meech Lake Accord and the Charlottetown Accord. His speech regarding the Charlottetown Accord on October 1st, 1992, is actually credited with turning English Canada against the Accord in the 1992 referendum. He would also meet Mikhail Gorbachev in 1985. In 1991, he became a father again with Deborah Margaret Kone, who he had dated for years. Sarah Kone, Trudeau's only daughter, was born to this relationship. In 1993, he published his memoirs, which became one of the most successful Canadian books ever published. In 1996, he published Against the Current, a collection of his writings from 1939 to 1996. Sadly, tragedy would strike the Trudeau family in 1998 when his son, Mikkel, died in an avalanche. During his later years, Trudeau would suffer from Parkinson's disease and prostate cancer, and he would leave his law practice in 2000. On September 28, 2000, after battling prostate cancer, Trudeau passed away at his home in Montreal. 
His funeral was attended by Jean and Aline Chrétien, Jimmy Carter, and Fidel Castro. His body would lay in state in the center block of Parliament, and his son Justin would give an emotional eulogy, and many speculated that his son would follow his father into federal politics. As it turned out, that is exactly what happened. In 2013, his son was elected leader of the Liberal Party, and in 2015 became Prime Minister. Good evening, and welcome to a CBC News special as we report on the life and death of Pierre Trudeau. Giant is a word being used a lot tonight. A giant in politics, a giant of a person, a giant who has now fallen. News of the former Prime Minister's death came in a statement from his sons. It said, Justin and Sasha Trudeau regret to inform you that their father, the Right Honourable Pierre Elliott Trudeau, passed away shortly after 3 p.m. today, September 28th, Funeral arrangements are being prepared and the details will be provided as soon as they are finalized. Pierre Trudeau was 80 years old and in failing health for some time. News of how sick he was broke about three weeks ago. And with that, Canadians began to reflect on a man who could mesmerize them. He did it with vision, with leadership, with charisma. We'll have the thoughts of Canadians from the politicians and the people throughout this special. Today, Trudeau is generally well-regarded by most Canadians. He's been called one of the most admired and most disliked of all Canadian Prime Ministers. In the West, he's called the father of Western alienation, and many, in places like Alberta, felt that the policies he implemented favoured the East. Things were not helped when on a train trip to British Columbia, Trudeau gave the finger to a group of protesters outside of his train window. What is often forgotten is that the protesters were shouting anti-French slogans, rather than protesting alienation. In Quebec, his legacy is mixed due to his imposing of the War Measures Act, which was seen as an attack on democracy by many in Quebec. The most enduring legacy of Trudeau is his contributions to Canadian nationalism and Canadian pride as more than just part of the British Commonwealth. There have been criticisms over the economic policies of Trudeau. When he came to power in 1968, the national debt was $18 billion, mostly left over from the Second World War. By 1984, the debt was $200 billion. But it should be noted that this trend is not unusual for Western countries. For the Indigenous, the Trudeau government attempted to abolish the Indian Act and eliminate Indian status, which was strongly opposed by the Indigenous of Canada. As a result, political activism of the Indigenous rose sharply in the 1970s. In 1969, Trudeau would say, quote, We can go on treating the Indians as having special status, we can go on adding bricks of discrimination around the ghetto in which they live and at the same time perhaps helping them preserve certain cultural traits and certain ancestral rights. But I don't think that we should encourage the Indians to feel that their treaty should last forever within Canada so that they may be able to receive their twine or their gunpowder. End quote. On the other side of things, the Constitutional Act of 1982 included Indigenous rights and set out to improve education and economic development among the Indigenous. As for the War Measures Act, it's been gone since the 1980s, but the use of it in 1970 still lingers over the legacy of Trudeau, and there have been calls for his son, Justin Trudeau, to apologize for its use during the October crisis. While there were issues, there are many reasons why Trudeau is rated so highly among many Canadians. During his time in office, British Columbia experienced a boom as new markets were found for its minerals, one of the largest ocean coal depots was built near Vancouver, to send the province's coal to Japan. In Saskatchewan, uranium and potash prices hit premiums that would bring in huge amounts of money. Ironically, Alberta would actually benefit greatly in the 1970s under Trudeau, when high oil prices brought in huge land and construction boom into the province. In the United Nations, Canada began to play a more active role, while also reaffirming its fishing rights and its sovereignty over the Arctic islands. Trudeau also moved Canada into the metric system over the course of the 1970s, a move that was highly controversial for the time, but has helped Canada become more in line with the rest of the world rather than the United States. I did an entire episode on Canada's move into the metric system last year, so go to my website to check it out. In 1997 and 2011, Maclean's ranked Trudeau as the fifth greatest prime minister in history. From 1968 to 1975, Trudeau was the Canadian press newsmaker of the year every year, and again two more times in 1978 and 2000. 
no other person has had the honour ten times as Trudeau has. In 1999, he was named the newsmaker of the 20th century. Several schools are named for Trudeau, as is the airport in Montreal. In 2004, he was voted the third greatest Canadian in history during the CBC series The Greatest Canadian. In a poll done in 2020 to find the top Prime Minister since 1968, 33% chose Trudeau, double the next closest of Stephen Harper, and far ahead of his son, Justin, who had 15%. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Pierre Elliott Trudeau. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And don't forget you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just like all of these wonderful patrons have, and I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Randy McCallum, Diane Wade, Laurie-Ann Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-E-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37. Information comes from Canadian Encyclopedia, CTV, CBC, Biography, Britannica, Wikipedia, Canada Archives, the Government of Canada, Collections Canada, Abbey News, and the Toronto Sun. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.